Hi, I'm Hope. Hey, and I'm Pilani. And this is the African Pre-Seed Podcast. As always, if you're a founder or investor keen on learning more about the African tech ecosystem, we've got you covered. So in this episode, we're talking about measuring success in the African e-commerce space and the business models that are best positioned to succeed within the broad online market. A person who lives the African e-commerce journey daily and our guest on today's show is Dipanka Rustagi, co-founder and CEO of Omnibus Africa. Dipanka, welcome to the African Pre-Seed Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Of course. Just before we get into our discussion, we're going to play a quick game called... Read this, read this, read this, read this. Dipanka, mm-hmm. we are going to take your temperature on six things that will each take turns rating on a scale of one to five, with one being mm, meh and five being fantastic. Are you ready to play with us? Sure. So the first one is, what are your thoughts on e-commerce in the metaverse? I think I would rate that as a three. The metaverse will evolve and then the e-commerce would be there. Mm. <laughs> and what are your thoughts on the African Continental Free Trade Agreement? Create opportunity, early stage, but opportunity rated as four. The Nigeria Startup Act. <laughs> so I, I, I would I would rate that at four as well. Oh wow! Okay. What about Elon Musk Starlink? <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. I would rate that at three. Okay. Blockchain. Five. Wow. Okay, you're quite bullish on blockchain. What about Africa's payment infrastructure? Great opportunity, growing fast. So a five. Cool. Read this, read this, read this, read this. Now, with our minds ready to go, let's jump straight into today's discussion. Sure. So Deepanka, you're originally from India, but clearly you've identified a pain point that needs solving within the African B2B e-commerce market. Could you tell us a little bit more about what caught your eye and what is this pain point that you're so passionate about addressing? So starting from India, I see the power of middle class. I see the power of small and medium scale businesses. I moved to Nigeria in 90s. So I've been in Nigeria very long and this is home. Seeing how the businesses are structured and the opportunity or the amount of money lost on the table is very big. And I think that is what caught my attention how traditional trade has been structured i got the opportunity to work in a large fmcg company in nigeria called tolaram group they are the makers of indomie one of the top brands here in nigeria and uh, also after working with them understanding the trade i did a startup which was in the sme space something i'm really passionate about and something i feel needs needs a lot of push needs a lot of you know uh, support in terms of taking it to its potential so it was called we connect supporting them uh, supporting the smes in the service space this is what gave me the visibility of the gaps in the traditional trade in nigeria and caught my eye and that's why we're doing what we're doing amazing amazing i mean i recently read a piece you wrote that was published in the Flip Africa, focused on metrics within the e-commerce space in Africa. Mm-hmm. 
before we dive into the details of that, how would you emphasize the importance of pursuing the right metrics to a founder looking to enter into the B2B space? Maybe I'll just talk a little bit about B2B space and then I'll talk about why the B2B space metrics or why is it important? Please go for it. Sure. The B2B space is more organized, more structured, has a much larger frequency. So when we talk about B2B, whether it's a manufacturer selling to a distributor, whether it's an importer providing to his his customers, there is a repeat pattern, which is very high in frequency. So the opportunity in the B2B space is huge. But when we say B2B space and we compare it to a normal e-commerce business, there is a very big difference. A normal e-commerce business is always exploring to find where there is need. So, you know, let's talk about books being sold on Amazon. People don't buy books every day. So a company like Amazon is trying to market and see they are top of mind. Whenever someone wants to buy a book, they should come to Amazon. So that's the B2C space. But in B2B, when you're talking about selling to a business or selling to a retailer, he's going to have the need for your product every day. And if you want him to become your customer, frequency of purchase is never a problem. Certainty, whether he's going to purchase or not, is never a problem. Now, the question is, can you offer value for him to purchase from you? And that is why the B2B space is very different and the metrics you measure in the B2B space need to be very, very carefully measured. Otherwise, you could go wrong in a big way. I'm interested in when you talk about sort of core value matters in the B2B space, right? Because to your point, there's already the frequency, there's an identified need. How do you think mm -hmm. about capturing that market's loyalty as they transition from a digital perspective? And what do you think are the oversimplifications that people make about the wholesaler within an African context? So when you talk about offering value to these wholesalers, these wholesalers have been doing their business for decades. They understand their business inside out. They understand their customers in a great way. So to offer retention, you have to create value through digitization. And that's the only way they would change the way they do business or they would improve the way they do business. If they don't see the value, if they don't understand how that value is going to scale their business, they wouldn't transition. So the way we have created value or the way we have seen in different markets, value is created for this segment of customers is by showing how scale can be achieved in their business, how revenues can be made. So mm -hmm. instead of giving them just procurement or just focusing on your GMB uh, or your sales, if you look at their business and show them how they are making more money. So we've seen this happening through simplifying their procurement, helping them with working capital, so their volume scale and their stockouts reduce. With that, they do more and they make more. We've seen helping them with tools or CRMs, which help them manage their business more efficiently and um, reduce the opportunity or chances of uh, mismanagement, leaky bucket. With that happening, these wholesalers make more money and uh, simplify transactions for them. So yeah. these are some of the things we have seen 
which brings these wholesalers, retailers in the space where they link up and retain with a digital provider for long term rather than just looking for discounts or better pricing. Okay, that's interesting. So basically, you guys have taken an approach of providing almost the entire SME tech stack that would enable mm -hmm. an SME to kind of grow as opposed to solving for one specific pain point, which might just be purchasing or just be working capital. And you mentioned sort of the, in that same piece that Filani referenced earlier, you mentioned that, you know, GMV makes sense when you're looking at the B2C environment, but you feel that it's a bit too so overplayed within the B2B commerce space. Can you unpack that thought for us? Absolutely. Seeing this market for the last two years, seeing different numbers, growth of GMV and the way that growth of GMV comes, it's it's a very, very big point for us to understand what is the motivation behind that GMV. If the motivation behind that GMV is to bring in the number by discounts or by providing uh, extra short-term benefits to the customer, the wholesaler or the retailer, then GMV has no value because as soon as you remove those discounts or remove those delivery discounts or product discounts from the offer, the the wholesaler goes back to doing the business the way they did it before. The retailer does the same. And that's not sustainable. You can't continue to give discounts or change the course of action in this way. You need to offer the value. So in B2C, because you want to identify who your customer is, who purchases similar pattern, who purchases products at certain price point, you you go ahead and offer those discounts to acquire the customer. But in B2B, acquisition is not the end game. Here, acquisition is the start of the business and retention by creating value for the customer is the game. So I think GMV for B2B customers is not the right metric. Actually, if you can measure value creation in B2B for the customers in any way, that would be a great value. And we see that value being the, you know, incremental revenue you generate for the customer or, yeah. Thanks for that, Dipankar. Absolutely love that view. I think focus on quality of GMV is really important. Mm -hmm. So if GMV isn't fit for purpose for B2B, what metric do you think a B2B founder should focus on and why? And what are some of the good examples to follow? So in the B2B space, founders should look at repeatability. And in that retention of customers, customers buying again and again on your platform is a key metric. And along with retention of customers, something that is critical is the growth of the customers on your platform. Is there a change in habit of your customer? That means if they started to buy two products off your platform, are they growing the value of those products? Are they growing their dependency or their portfolio purchase from your platform? If they are, then there is this change of pattern. There's this change of habit, which says the retention or the loyalty of the customer is growing. So I would say if you're looking at retention and the growth of the customer on your platform, you've got the right metrics and you would be able to pull it off. You know, it's always exciting for us whenever we hear a founder referencing the right sort of metrics that speak to the core of where scale will come from, right? And I think one of the things that we also believe in fundamentally as investors is 
founders being able to follow the metrics and follow the data in their business to evolve sort of the set of decisions around product evolution, growth evolution. And it sounds like it's something you've done quite well in your business. So could you just unpack to what degree have you relied on specific metrics to analyze the effectiveness of your business model and any tips you can share with founders that are listening to this in terms of how do you set up structures within your own organization so you're able to readily pool different data sets that empower, you know, to your point, like having the right North Star within a certain business model? So as a founder, I feel the ownership of every entrepreneur, every founder in the organization is to ensure the right metrics is being measured on day one. Majority of the times I hear founders, uh, mates sharing that, you know, let's start the business and over a period of time, the metrics will become right. And I've burnt my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I've had, um, yeah, I've seen a couple of failures myself, but I've understood that metrics don't become right after some time. They need to be tracked and things need to be done in the organization at a smaller stage, at an earlier stage mm. to get them right. And then you can scale. So if you measure your metrics, let's say in the B2B business or in the B2B, if your CM1, your contribution margin one or your contribution margin two, taking care of different costs at different levels is growing, is you're being able to take care of those costs. That's that's something very important. So if founder can behave as the gatekeeper and give the permission to scale the business, give the approvals to scale the business, then he is doing a great job because it's predominantly the growth team, which is then going to deliver the results and multiply the business from one to hundred. Mm -hmm. I think founder plays a very, very important role at the zero to one level. If your zero to one is done well, replicating that in, that in different categories, different markets, in different scenarios can be done well. But if your zero to one is not right, something needs to be changed at that stage because changing it at one to hundred stage becomes becomes more difficult. And I think it Absolutely. speaks to why, you know, we have an insight around a significant drop off between sort of seed to series A, right? Because that's where it starts mattering in terms of if you're trying to go from 10 to 100, but the fundamentals aren't there, it's so much more harder to fix. So I found that listening to this, if I'm already at 10 to 100, what advice would you give around what practical steps can I take? What tools can I take to start measuring and baselining appropriately so I can have visibility as to what I can change? So are there certain tools of trade that you're able to share that is a cultural practice within your organization that has helped you follow the right metrics? Yeah, I think uh, bringing in corrections at any stage is not late. So if you are at a 10 to 100 stage, you've raised your seed, you've raised your A or you've working towards it it's still a good time for you to correct the metrics you put the controls at the right place in your business so you measure and then scale would be a great way for every company to scale and um, one of the messages i would give based on what i see around is as founders we shouldn't build our business for someone else or build our business for valuation Every business should be built for profitability and um, it might not give profitability on day one, but the path to profitability needs to be kept in mind. What you need to measure to become profitable needs to be super clear. 
those discussions around that should not be moved to another day those discussions should be done on day 1 to have the visibility across the organization and i think then even if you're at a 10 to 100 stage and people in your organization in your team have that clarity have that visibility of how in this process of 10 to 100 we will become profitable i think it's a great way to go stepping aside from um, metrics for a second so both retail chains and large e-commerce players typically spend a significant amount of capital in order to have high quality supply chain visibility what do you mm-hmm. think that supply chain visibility is important and how easy is it for resource strapped startups to get this information to a point where it adds value to their business no i think this visibility in the supply chain is very important majority of the supply chain businesses are low margin businesses and if you do not have this visibility it's difficult for you to see the areas of improvements which require or which where you can bring in the efficiencies so this measurability this digitization throughout the entire supply chain becomes critical for you to bring in the efficiency i'll also give you an example this is this is an oxymoron i i always laugh about in the markets where the retailers do not need credit have substantial capital to invest in the business in those markets retailers don't need capital to do the business it's a negative working capital business anyone retailing in developed economies is is getting the product on credit because there is visibility in the entire supply chain from the manufacturer till the consumption is done large amounts of credit is pumped in the chain but in developing markets where this digitization is missing or this clarity is missing every element or every stakeholder in the trade has to bring in their money so retailers in africa or in nigeria who do not have substantial amount of working capital but have the potential to do more do not get this working capital because they don't have this visibility of how goods are moving in the chain where are they purchasing from what are they making how are they selling forward so bringing in this entire or end to end supply chain visibility really helps the business scale and improve and in terms of the applicability to sort of resource strapped startups how do you think they get that information to the point where it adds value to the business so when you say resource startup you mean the logistics startups yes. or the warehousing startups yeah yeah correct absolutely for them as well it's a it's a scale game any of the logistics startups warehousing startups infrastructure startups supporting the supply chain they need to have the visibility of how the rotation happens how much value creation happens and a part of that value they are going to take so digitization or end to end process measurement in their case becomes super critical we've seen a large number of startups in the last 3 years emerge in this space uh, and improve the logistics ecosystem drastically we've seen warehousing startups come in we've seen third party logistics startups come in and the space and return on investment on their assets has improved because now they can measure and uh, they can raise capital so various startups from move to max to various others have emerged in this space to support the ecosystem
I think there is so many exciting things happening into the in the B2B commerce space. But we just love to learn a little bit more about you as well. You know, Omnipus is your second startup with you having mm-hmm. previously founded WeConnect. And beyond the business lessons, with you having said that WeConnect was ahead of its time in terms of payment collection, what personal lessons did you learn from that experience that you are transferring over to the way you are running and scaling Omnipus? Yes, I think... <laughs> This is this is a great question. I invested a lot of time in WeConnect. It was a passion and a great amount of learnings came from there. We started WeConnect very early on in 2011 and uh, got great traction. And I would say some of the key lessons we learned from that was having the, the things I spoke about, having measurability of the business is key. So getting traction is nice, but converting that traction into monetization is super critical. And the earlier you do it, the better it is for the business. And another important thing we as a team learned was you have to focus on one category or on one vertical at a time and scale in that vertical prior to you going horizontal across categories. Uh, In WeConnect, we brought in various categories. We built search. We brought in from plumbers to carpenters to electrician, fumigation, Mm -hmm. everyone. But the requirement of someone who is doing jewelry repair to someone who is repairing a swimming pool to someone who is providing fumigation and then a plumber, it's very different, their thought process, their conversion cycle. So in the process of building your business, even if you're building a business which over a period of time would be across multiple categories. I would say the learning we had was go step by step, understand your supplier and your customer effectively, build, evolve your product for them and then go into other categories or expand into other categories rather than doing it on day one. Hey, we are a horizontal platform. Saying it is easy, but doing it is very difficult. Yeah. I wish founders listening to this can please take that advice to heart, right? Because to your point, I think a lot of what we see as well is founders choosing multiple different paths too early and then stretching mm-hmm. the team, stretching the resources, but then you don't generate enough data to say, how do you how do you feed that back to build a core value proposition, right? And extend that over time. So I'm sorry that you had to be burned in terms of learning that lesson, which comes to sort of an interesting phenomena we see on the continent. You know, if you look at other ecosystems in the US, you know, failure is something that's openly talked about and appreciated because you can get to learn some of those things and then obviously repackage them to launch a successful business the second time around. Do you think failures discussed openly within the African tech ecosystem? I think we can go one step more in terms of discussing our failures. Failures um, is the way learnings are built is the way the next steps of the markets are built. So in talking about your failures, there is nothing wrong. It's just, we have to stop looking down at people who failed. That's one of the challenges in the African market. If you are in a more evolved startup ecosystem, people appreciate failures, people appreciate, rather people appreciate the learnings which has come at someone else's cost (laughs) way more than uh, doing those mistakes on their own. And uh, that appreciation is yet to come in in a big way in the African market. But I think it's coming in. So I would say it's it's our learning curve 
and uh, we are on the path to evolve there you know when you were speaking about business lessons earlier i love the fact that you spoke about team lessons right so mm-hmm. what's your approach in terms of identifying and hiring team members and besides the the technical and deep industry experience what what sort of personality traits do you look for in your team members yeah so culture today is a hot topic everyone says you know if it is a great culture in the organization everything works and it happens um, to eat strategy for breakfast as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, but i think we need to simplify culture you know there is nothing called as right culture there is not nothing called as right hire you must have also heard that you need to hire or you need to onboard different members at different stages of the organization so i would say from a perspective of who you should hire from a perspective of what the culture of the organization is it's the co-founders it's the senior members of the organization of the team that develop the culture and when you are hiring people instead of just looking for the skill set you can ask yourself this question which i do normally is uh, if sorry two questions if this person was to come on board would you be excited to meet him or her on a daily basis so would you be excited to work with them on a daily basis and the second question is based on what you've learned about them would they take decisions in your absence in the same way prioritizing the same things as you do and if the answer is positive and i then i think everything else can be learned everything else can be built on and i think i was at venture platforms get together two weeks back and mm. i heard it that a great way to define who you should hire is if you can if the founder is not present and if the key stakeholders are taking the decision in the same way in the absence of the founder as he would then you've got the right culture then you are in a way moving forward in the right direction in a unified direction and i think that's a great culture for an organization so i'm going to put you a bit on the spot here mm-hmm. name three traits that you think are most important when building a new concept or venture with a partner humility care and persistence would be up there the three traits love those because if you care for the customer and the people in in building the product or building the solution it would be great you have to be humble enough to say you're wrong so you can be right and um, persistence any any solution that you work towards won't come out early you you just need to be persistent for a till you get the right thing out so i think that would be the three traits i would put up there so just the final question is what is next for omnipers and what does 2023 look like so 2023 is a very important year in our growth journey we've gained scale we've gained quantum we have decent numbers of retailers as well as retention our strategy is to showcase how the retailers we have partnered with can be scaled the retailers who are buying who are working with us through our platform if we can quadruple their volumes if we can quadruple their profits we would have achieved what we set out to achieve we would have built a much stronger retail infrastructure 
to service the consumers. And I think that's that's what our objective was when we started. So 2023 is about um, ensuring the ecosystem we have built around distributors, around logistics providers to service the retailers shows its results by bringing in the volume growth for these retailers. Sorry, I, I just wanted to add here that you also know about the demonetization which is coming in, which is going to change the way retailers have done business in this market. So providing them the infrastructure for them to manage their payments in partnership with various financial service providers mm. so their business can continue to scale, their businesses can continue to have right amount of working capital required is, is part of our growth in 2023. Cool. Uh, Dibankar, thank you so much for joining us on today's show and sharing your insights with us. It's been really awesome having you. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate the discussion. Thank you so much. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us too. We'll close this out by asking you, how do you measure success in your startup? And what does success actually mean to you? Please send your responses to hello at africanpreseed.com. And remember, you can also share your thoughts with us on the social media using hashtag African Podcast. But that's it for now and catch you on the next one. Cheers, everyone.